Cinco de Mayo, 1954. The world sat in a place where they thought there was something the human body could not do. And it was not something that was just on that day, it was the day before that, the decade before that. And the story went that for thousands of years, until the 6th of May, people thought it was impossible for a human to run a four-minute mile. Now, one thought they said, it's just dangerous. Who knows what would happen if you actually crossed the four-minute barrier? Other people said, no, we've actually, we've reached the limit. It's literally as far as you can go. Four minutes, you can't get there. We've reached it. That was until Roger Bannister. He started way before that. He began meditating and thinking about what would it be like to cross that threshold. What would it be like to actually reach 359? And then on May 6th, 1954, he did it. 359 and four tenths of a second. And it was smashed. Now the story is a special story for us as humans because we always refer back to it as that moment of something we thought was impossible, and then once we broke it, suddenly realized it was possible. And it was so possible that only one month later, someone dropped the time by an entire second. And in the past 60 years, it's dropped 17 seconds. In the 1960s, the psychiatrist Aaron Beck, he developed cognitive behavioral therapy recognizing that how we lived our lives was based upon where our thoughts were. That whatever we thought, that's generally how things would turn out. And so if we could get our thoughts in the right place, our lives would follow that direction. Now, it also worked in the reverse direction as well, where people are deathly afraid of flying, afraid that their plane is gonna fall out of the sky, when statistically we know it's probably not gonna happen. But the number of people it consumes, it's an issue. So what we do, we say, look, that's real. You have that thought. That's okay. But we're going to discount that thought. We're not going to sit in that reality because then you're never going to fly. And it's going to stop the way you actually could live. And instead, we're going to focus on another thought. We're going to focus on the statistics there. And he proved time and again that this worked. And now the majority of therapy in this country since the 60s is focused on this type of therapy or a derivative of that, which is shifting our thinking. Now I share this today because we are in Parshav Etchanan, and we are reviewing the Ten Commandments. And you might be thinking, well, what do the commandments have to do with thought? Because generally in Judaism, when we talk about commandments or anything in Judaism, it's all about behavior. I don't really care what you think, I care what you do. Which is why we say we don't really believe in God in Judaism. You can have faith in God, but it's not our main requirement. What determines if a person is a good Jew is what they do. If I have someone sitting here and they say, there is no God at all, but I give tzedakah, you know, I feed the homeless, I'm nice to my family, we would say that person's a good Jew. We would all agree on that. But when we get to the Parsha this week, and you look at the Ten Commandments, it says something a little bit different. And so there's a teaching from Rabbi David Levin Kruss, which points out that if you look at the very first commandment and the very tenth commandment, it no longer focuses on behavior. It's all about thought. The middle eight 
are all about behavior. But tonight, we're going to get rid of those eight. And we're going to look at one and ten. So the very first one states, this is in Deuteronomy 6, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods besides me. Verse 18, or number 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not crave your neighbor's house, or his field, or his male or female slave, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Essentially, don't be jealous. If we go to verse 1, the first one there is that if you put God in the very front of your mind, you were freed from Egypt. If you're jealous or if you covet, you know exactly where that's going to turn out. Think of Cain and Abel. We saw where that turned out when you get so consumed with that jealousy. This is the lesson of Egypt. We were in this incredibly dark place in Egypt. And it wasn't just dark for a year or two years or a decade, but for generation upon generation. We were in this place where I could say, yeah, you know, my parents, they were slaves, and my grandparents and my great-grandparents, and as far back as I can remember, we were slaves. But you know something? We're not going to be slaves anymore. I can imagine that we are free, and we're going to work towards this dream. And eventually we get to that place where we're free. Now, conversely, we could have gone in the completely other direction and said, you know, this is awful how we're treated. Now they're killing our sons, but yeah, it's just not surprising. This has been our narrative for generation upon generation. That's what we have. But the Ten Commandments, they show us that's not how we get to success. Success is not actually sitting in our current reality because it just keeps reinforcing our reality. But this is not an easy thing to do, to shift one's reality. I can tell you by the reactions that I saw this week, many of us go to that place of, it's awful, but I'm not surprised. In Jerusalem, we had an ultra-Orthodox Jew stab six marchers, two of whom still are in critical condition. Last night, Settlers attacked a Palestinian family in the West Bank. They threw firebombs into the home where the two parents, they got their four-year-old out, but their 18-month-old died. And we can say, well, they're extremists. It's awful, but they're extremists. We saw in the news again this week with Sandra Bland getting pulled over for not turning her turning signal on. We saw the former officer, Ray Tenzing, in Cincinnati shooting a person in his car. And we might say, it's awful. But, I mean, look at our country. We understand it. We started from a place of slavery. Yeah, eventually we desegregated, but it's systemic. And it's bad. And that is a very normal reaction but it's not a Jewish reaction. See, what the Ten Commandments teach us is that where our thoughts are is where our reality will go. It's our job to embrace what Aaron Beck proved, that we are the ones who individually and collectively and as a nation will decide where we go if we put our thoughts in that place. 
We can't just shake our heads in disgust and say, ah, oh, that's just the society we live in and it's wrong because it won't change anything. It's only when we begin to shift our thoughts and begin to move into a place where we're living our dreams that the dreams come true. As our rabbis are marching with hundreds of other rabbis, from Selma to Washington, we can't do it with the mindset that we're here just upset about today, because then we keep on reinforcing today. It wasn't until Martin Luther King, he stood on the steps and he talked about a dream. He didn't talk about the reality he lived in. He talked about where he wanted to go. It wasn't until Moshe came in and talked about where we were going to go that we got there. It wasn't until we talked about the dream of the return to Zion that we actually got back to Israel. That's what we're supposed to do on the Shabbat. That's what we're supposed to do as Jews, is not to sit in this place of acceptance, of looking at the world at how it is, but we're supposed to put God in the very front of our vision, which changes your vision, because then we're looking at the world and how it's supposed to be. And that's when we start to dream. And that's when we start to make that reality. Kenya Hiratsone.